Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. This week's guest is Josh Fowler, the co-founder and CEO of Mindstone. Mindstone helped people learn faster and remember more from any content available on the internet. He co-founded and scaled Super Awesome, one of the world's leading kid tech businesses, and sold it to Epic Games, the creator of Fortnite. This episode is packed with thoughtful insights, but I think the highlights that you'll enjoy are the importance of Slack in a system, scaling your rituals as your company scales, and a really useful definition of success for a founder. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at StartupDadsPod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santarasanan, and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. I'm really excited to have Josh Vola on the show. Did I get that right, Josh? You got that perfectly right. Awesome. Delighted to have Josh on the show. Josh, how are you doing today? Very well. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we were just talking before the show kicked off that you're a seed stage dad with a 12-week-old and you are smiling and untired. So before we get into finding out what your secret is, um, let's kick off with what your life was like when you became a startup dad. So can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing in the startup world beforehand and then how it all came crashing together? Yeah, how it all went went wrong. Uh, I had a few things before uh, Lucas was born. So first of all, computer science background, I started a company called Super Awesome. That became the biggest kids technology company in the world. Uh, We sold that to the creators of Fortnite, Epic Games. And then a little over a year and a half ago, I started another company called Mindstone. Mindstone really tries to enable anyone to learn anything as fast as is humanly possible and remember as much of it as they would want. And so in terms of what my my life looked like, uh, I am a routine freak. I guess that's probably the right classification. (laughs) To put it in perspective, I am the type of person that has booked a holiday seven years from now. That's got to be a re- uh, that's a, certainly a record on the show. Uh, possibly a world record. <laughs> yeah. We should we should try and find out. <laughs> should try and see that indeed. It's competing with people that are getting their places to go to Mars. <laughs> yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, can I ask what the holiday is? That's what I'm interested to know. Uh, it's a, a cruise on the Nile, going through the various pyramids and Very having nice. tours and that. Yeah, so it's the type of thing that books out way too much in advance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good planning. You've written a lot in the public domain about your daily routine. It's something that resonates with me a lot. And I think when I talk to a lot of founders, when we have them on the show, one of the things that sticks out is rigor and discipline, right? I think this is a key concept, I think, that's very, very relatable to lots of very high performance people. But I think working in a high growth business, you know, where everything, the rocket is moving often in directions that you're not absolutely sure which way it's pointing. Discipline and rigor is really key. So I suppose... I just want to ask the question, how have you dealt with having a child and its interactions with having a routine? It was hard to deal with. But I would also say that actually the routines I had put in place at least put a lower bound to the level at which I could fall. (laughs) So it it also kind of, it provided a little bit of a safety net for when everything else was not working, like some of the routines still stuck 
and they meant that not everything was without rhythm. I'm a big believer that people don't necessarily kind of raise to the level of their ambition, but more you fall to the level of your routines. Mm. Uh, and so having having the right routines just means that when everything else falls away, you kind of have that safety net. Trying to combine that with the unpredictability of a kid was really hard because I mean, Lucas has no idea of the routine I put in place and he doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. Uh, <laughs> at all. Um, so so I'd say there were, there were kind of two things that were key. One is that I'm incredibly lucky that my, my wife was able to take a full year out. So she um, does absorb a lot of the variability in the schedule that kind of ensues. And the other is that because I had trained myself to think primarily in routines, the f one of the first things I did about two weeks in was to just rethink the routines and kind of think about how I could maintain structure by building in slack in some of the routines. So one of the I think biggest problems that people have, for example, when they try and keep a diet or something is that when you're too strict with your routines, you basically, the moment you, you miss one rule, you're kind of off track entirely and it's like, okay, you just quit your diet. But if you're realistic with the routines that you're trying to keep, then they are much more solid. A good comparison would be using rigid versus kind of flexible material, mm. right? If, if you use very rigid material at some point, like once you snap, it's broken, it's done. You're out of your routine. Mm. But if you built them in a way that is more flexible, then you can still maintain them. So for example, I have a part of my schedule, my routine that contains an hour of reading a day. That hour of reading has become my buffer. So the reality is I used to always be able to keep it. At the moment, I might be able to get 15 to 20 minutes a day in because the rest is just being eaten into by various parts of the day that are unpredictable. But having that buffer in place means that I can let the rest of the day and the rest of the routines can stay true. Now, I have the same thing for exercise in the morning where I have a routine where the moment I wake up, I spend about half an hour or so on an exercise bike. If something has to go because there was a particularly bad night and my wife really just needs to, to, to kind of sleep in, that is the time that goes. And I am then able to move that exercise to, I'll do it during lunch, for example, instead. And so by building in some slack around the routine, I, I have been able to cope with it much better, if that makes sense. It certainly does. When I read the Medium post you wrote about optimizing a, a routine, it, it just stuck with me so much because I spend a huge amount of my time in basically a perpetual battle 
to optimize my routine against the faces of change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think one of the things I think about a lot is our company's routine. Like Wednesday, we have a focus time day, which is a common thing. You know, it's not something HX invented, is the idea of having a, a day that, that's resilient as much as possible to, to meetings and things. My question for you is, do you find yourself applying principles at the systemic level in your the way you design the way the cadence of your company works? A- absolutely. With my... Yeah, like I actually think about that in a very similar way. Mm. When a company scales properly, if you're not rethinking your rituals, your routines, your kind of weekly schedules on a at least quarterly basis, you're probably doing something wrong. Yeah. And I mean, as we were building Super Awesome, this was something I had. A, I actually had a ping in my calendar every six months, which was re- like reschedule your entire calendar and I would spend a whole day rethinking my own priorities and then rethinking of not just my own priorities but the priorities of wait how do we do things we're only a year and a half into Mindstone I think we're on iteration five of our weekly schedules like literally last week we just transitioned to kind of an Amazon style much more uh, press release focused product Mm. development methodology because we are fully distributed and We used to have weekly meetings of look-aheads and product brainstorms, and we found they were too rigid. Uh, Again, like as the company evolves really quickly. So instead of doing that, we now have a rule where 48 hours in advance uh, for any big decision, a press release gets written. And then we have a, a blocked hour slot every day, which can be taken by this type of meeting. And if it's not taken 48 hours in advance, then you are free to use that for other things. And so... Constantly optimizing this, for sure. That's super cool. Like I said, my favorite bit about the show is where I get to steal great ideas like that <laughs> and use them at HX. So that's going into the list. We have something similar. We call them bullpen meetings in the morning. I don't know if you've read, there was a really great article from, I think, the founder of Coda who talked about this system where you have these meetings and you know they're time that you have to use it for this or nothing, right? Yeah. And it's a similar concept. I, one of the things I think you're touching on there, which I think is a really great validation almost certainly for me as a kind of less experienced founder but for our our guests is I early on in my life uh, of HX used to get myself very stressed at the fact that these things changed all the time and I felt like I was chasing my tail but I think what you're saying really is actually as your business grows it's probably a sign of success in some ways that actually things change as your business Uh, grows. Exactly think about it the other way around your business is changing if you aren't Mm. You should be asking yourself some questions. Yeah, that's very good. I think um, making the time to plan for change rather than it being an irritation of you're like, oh, these systems aren't working is a really critical. It's, it's more than critical. It's actually what trips up many founders. There's a, mm. It's actually fairly rare for founders to grow as fast as... If you're really successful, it's rare for founders to grow as fast as the business. Yeah. And I'd say the difference between those that do and those that don't are those that realize that they need to take the time to reconsider how they work. The mistake that I see happen too often is to think, wow, there are too many things to do. I don't have time to think. I just need to get these things done. And then before you know it, you might have gotten those things done, but you are now way behind to where the company needs you to be as a contributor and it might be too late at that point Uh, and that's a really key differentiator i have seen that way too often
you were an amazing journey with Super Awesome, just fantastic success story, which we'll touch on a little bit more. One of the things I like to ask founders is, what parts were your superpowers that used that came naturally to you, and which bits were learned through the school of hard knocks? Hard question, I know. Interesting. I would say that one of them is actually a combination of both. Is that okay. the quote I try to live my professional life by is that success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. That's awesome. I, I really, really like that because I truly believe that failure is the best teacher. And so that where I have tried to focus most of my time is the way I deal with, with failure. Trying to take failure as a guide and a teacher and so being less afraid of the knocks, but actually trying to find the knocks, trying to specifically run into walls to figure out, wait, is this a real wall or not? <laughs> Sometimes it isn't. It's an imaginary wall and you're like on the other mm -hmm. side. So how did I get here? Um, so that that's one. And that is combined with a real passion for learning. So I just... Uh, the first four years is super awesome. I did my MBA remotely. I would study from 6 to 8 a.m. every morning, and then I would get to the office at 9 a.m. And I I would actually sometimes apply some of the learnings I would have had in the morning. Like, I would have had an idea because I was reading theory in the morning, and people both liked and hated this in my teams, to be honest, because it was always something new that came out, and it was purely theoretical because it came out of like a literal M MBA textbooks. Nine times out of 10, it didn't work. But one time out of 10, it was like, huh, oh wait, actually this way of doing it is better. And because we were doing it basically daily, that actually ended up being a fairly quick feedback loop. Uh, I would credit it as with one of the biggest differentiators of me being able to scale up as an individual within Super Awesome. That loop between theory and practice and constantly trying something new and just being okay with the fact that nine times out of 10, it was going to be wrong because you, what you were looking for was yeah. the one time out of 10 when it did work. For sure. I had a really great quote, which I don't want to mis misattribute, so I'll make it anonymous, which was that the best inventors don't have great ideas. They just have lots of ideas. Yes, right? exactly. I think your point about that, it's a wonderful quote, going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. It's that ability to have the resilience to trying things in the context that you know, a priori, you know that nine out of 10 aren't going to work. So, so you better be okay with that. <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise well, it's going to be really miserable. <laughs> exactly. More than just being okay with it, you want to yes. be searching them out. Because the other thing is, I, I'm a true believer that if you don't fail nine times out of 10, you are probably not being bold enough with the things you're trying in the first place. So it's really, and I mean, I say, these are the things that I rationally leave. I'm not saying that they are easy. Like I... <laughs> I hurt as much as the next person when something really doesn't work that I want it to work. Um, but I have tried to work on myself on kind of quickly catching myself, not letting it kind of settle, uh, not letting it get me down too much other than the, um, the next day I can be a little bit down, but then it's like, okay, well back to work, do it again. <laughs> for sure. For sure. The joy of picking yourself back up for the next round, right? Exactly. Amazing. I want to pivot the conversation a little bit, um, actually, because I would like to talk a little bit about 
I know you're an early, an early stage startup dad, as we discussed, but I'd like to talk a little bit about, I suppose, your outlook now as a dad running Mindstone. So I read something that you wrote, which I, again, I really enjoyed, which was talking about the amazing run you had at Super Awesome, freed you of some of the usual constraints that we have in life, right? Yep. And you said, you wrote, I've got a quote here, it's like you had this ground zero exercise of actually, you know, if the normal things like money are not motivators, and I think about the next phase of my life, how can I optimize that time in the best possible way? And something that I hope to be in a position one day. And one of the things I think I look a lot about is how I'm kind of proud of the way I work at the moment. You know, I'm a hungry, driven founder, like, like you are and lot, lots of people are. If I'm really honest with you, one of the things that I worry about, and it's definitely a first world problem, is that as businesses grow a little bit, it changes the pressure you have. Right. And particularly, you'll know this as an avid reader as well, kind of the power law growth phrase of high growth businesses is you go from kind of having nothing to beyond wildest dreams. Right. Mm -hmm. The question I have for you is when you think about life with your kids, how do you think about how you optimize the time you spend at work and the time you spend with your kids? I know that's a very philosophical question. It is indeed a really philosophical question. And I've given it quite a bit of thought, but it would be it wouldn't be honest to for me to kind of sit here and say I've, I've kind of I have definitely figured out what I want to do there. What I think are a few things. One is that I have a drive in wanting to make a difference, and more specifically, not, not just make a difference, but make the biggest possible difference that I can make. Mm -hmm. um, what I know about myself is that whatever situation I put myself in. If I don't try and make that difference, then I will end up resenting whatever trade-off I made to do that. And mm. so I know from that that it would never be the right decision to put myself in a position where I think, okay, I'm gonna be spending more time now with my child, even though I know it's going to hurt my chances in the future with the impact I want to have there. Yeah. That in no way means that there is an order of priority in that way, but yeah. it means that I know if I don't do that, I will not be the dad I can be. 100%. And so that is a thing that I have to be realistic on. I also know the other side is true, which is that like any person, there is a level of belonging, a level of personal connection and support and love that drives and helps me build and do the things that I want to do. And I used to get that mostly from my wife. I am not the most social person, if I'm really honest. It's not like I spend a lot of time with lots of friends going out. That was one of the trade-offs I made years ago. Mm. But I am starting to feel that I'm getting some of that from Lucas now as well. I don't know how much of that is. And that is going to also grow over time as there is going to be more feedback. I mean, he only about two weeks ago started to recognize that I actually exist. I think oh, up to that point, I think it could have been anyone holding him other than his <laughs> yeah. mom. And he he would have kind of uh, responded to it. Now he he's starting to understand that I am somewhat different from any everybody else that he is interacting with. Um, so those would be kind of the two big frameworks that I would apply in terms of the time that I would want to spend with him. I think I also have a lot of a lot to learn around 
switching off. And I don't have the answer on that yet because I know that lots of people say basically you need to entirely switch off. And I'm not sure if I'm convinced of that being the thing, but I, I also am not, not sure yet of what the right level is. Like I, I know that my business requires a certain level of availability, especially in the early days, but I also I want to make sure that that doesn't result in a worse relationship with my kid as as Lucas grows up. And so those those would be the main questions still for me to try and figure out. I mean, for the record, that was an absolutely amazing rationalization of the tension, I think, that drives the dad part and the startup part of a startup dad. Thank you for that, because I think it's something that I really want us to share on the show, because I think it's a sort of thing that doesn't get talked about very often. For the record, something that I've learned is that uh, like you, I'm a serial optimizer, right? And, you know, to use the computer science back analogies, uh, parallelizing my time, right, is something that you certainly learn to do a lot as a founder. And I think some of the examples you gave of the bike riding plus the emails and those sorts of things, you know, my wife will say, I'm like Wallace and Gromit in the morning as I walk down the thing, like I've got my phone in one hand and I'm, the tea, the kettle goes on. It's a very complex multi-threaded algorithm, right, that runs in the morning. One of the things that I found difficult, speaking very honestly at the beginning, was that, Evie, my daughter, when she was born, she was extra. And, you know, people talk about the importance of switching off. And I don't mean extra as if she was a kind of additional burden. But, you know, if you think about the fact that there's a finite amount of time, there was yeah. more and there was an increased, very important, top priority thing in my life. And it actually occupied its own space. For me, and I don't know whether this is going to be the case for all of our listeners or other startup dads and moms out there, Evie has become a huge part of my switching off time. Mm-hmm. She's actually become an incredibly wonderful way for me to wind down, mainly because she's at the stage she's going to be two in a few weeks. Whereas if I leave her to her own devices, she will destroy everything within a kind of, you know, anything she can touch. So, you know, she's my daughter as well. So I've got no one to responsible, no one to blame but myself. But, you know, I've actually found that, you know, even if it's a somewhat selfish rationalization, it's an incredibly wonderful thing. What used to be in the past, maybe watching Netflix or something like that, you know, I have less time to do that now, but actually it's a real blessing to be able to play with my child and read to her or have her read to me and then try and eat the pages of the book and stop her from doing that. That has become an incredibly powerful overloading of the time that's needed to recharge and the time that is time with her. That's just an observation I would have and it might be the case for you, it might not. But that's been a wonderful parallelization in my life. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely expecting some of that to happen uh, and an activity that is fully kind of parallelizable, if that is a word. In the morning, if my wife has had a, a bad night's sleep, I'll take the camera, because the camera still makes a little bit, like Lucas will make some noise, and obviously just making the noise will, will wake her up a little bit. But those are periods of waking up that she should really shouldn't have to wake up, because he doesn't really want to eat, but at the same time, he's making noise, which wakes her up. Like, I just wake up, I take the camera with me whilst I'm on the exercise bike. Yeah. Like, yeah. that was the easiest win ever <laughs> because yeah. I still get to do my exercise bike uh, my sure. wife is happy that okay I just took care of Lucas for like an hour and a half but the reality is he didn't wake up and everyone was happier for it <laughs> so that's fully paralyzable but yes. the stuff you were talking about before as you really engage with your kid and they grow up getting your feedback if you're only partially there at that point yeah that is a whole different type of problem <laughs> for sure. And, you know, your example makes me smile because I remember, and I think this is probably the case for all first-time parents, the sheer amount of time I spent when Evie basically couldn't do absolutely anything, just kind of watching her. And now I realize, I was like, 
you know, you didn't have, like, she's a liability now. She was broadly fine back then. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you know, uh, I remember my mother-in-law would come downstairs and she'd see me sitting there doing some work with Evie because Evie was awake. And she's like, why are you sitting with her? She's just leave her alone. She can't do anything. I was like, yeah, but you know, I need to be there. I was like, I, I, and I don't regret it. You know, I look back as I'm sure you do already, you know, that time you spent just staring at your kid is a special time. Oh, absolutely. You know, you don't, wouldn't change that for the world, but I do smile at myself. I think about those times. I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm re- you could have been in any room because remember she barely knows how to poop, let alone how to crawl <laughs> or roll or anything like that. <laughs> She'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah. Another great hack. There are podcasts, Yes. podcasts and audiobooks. Yes. And there's because uh, you can actually be there, you can still look at things, but also still have at least some background activity. Yeah. For sure. My poor daughter, I'll never forget when she was very little, the number of business books that she would listen to as I pushed her around the park. You know, she's a world class expert in startup theory now. I bought one of those little speakers <laughs> and I would put it next to her in her pram. And my wife would be like, seriously, seriously, I'm. Re- so that is something I have indeed already started thinking about because of my, like, so that hour of reading, Yeah, I told my wife, the moment he gets into a little, he's now getting in, starting to get into routine. Uh, the idea, like, uh, that would be another time where I can be there. I'll just read the book out loud rather than reading it myself. I'll start reading it out loud yeah. because yeah. obviously um, he'll benefit from hearing more language and I'll still get to read my book. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I do have these slight strange nightmares that my daughter will go to like school. Everyone will be like, have you seen Zog? And she'll be like, no, but have you read Made It Stick by Chip Heath? Made to <laughs> Stick by, you know, <laughs> and, you know and they'll be like, what? <laughs> but yeah, I think there's, a, there's again, great problems to have. Yes. Well, look, Josh, I'm about a third of the way through the questions that I wanted to ask, but I feel like I don't want to spend all this time milking all of the insights you've got. We might have to have you back one day, maybe for the two-year update or something like that. Always happy to. But before we close up, a couple of the big questions, I suppose the big one for you is, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your kids? I'd say it is to over-communicate on expectations ahead of time and then be really honest about things. So first of all, most problems that arise in building a business are people problems. There are very few companies that run out of ideas. Even if you run out of ideas, that is a people problem at the end of the day, at the end of the day because you Absolutely. have hired the wrong type of people. But where you really can go wrong is, is, is when multiple people are misaligned on the expectations they have and that leads to a ton of disagreement, frustration, and like where it is kind of the most closely epitomized when you when you get into conversations of continuing together or not. And the the biggest red flag that I try and measure myself by always is if you ever get to a conversation where you think it might no longer make sense to work together with with someone. Does that conversation come as a surprise to them or not? If it comes as a surprise to them, you have failed. Because it means communica- expectations were not communicated and you were misaligned. This person thought they were doing okay based on the conversations you had. And then in your head, you were somehow not happy with it. Um, and I think that is the that is the biggest thing. And also... Being honest about that and understanding that it's not about 
the person, but actually flipping that around and realizing that if it's not working out here, there is probably somebody else they could be working with that could actually allow them to develop themselves much faster. And it's doing them a real big disservice, them and you, a big disservice by sticking together somehow, thinking that things are just going to magically resolve themselves. And I've had way too many people where I ended up not being happy with how we were working together and then they went on and had the most amazing lives achieving some crazy things and I realized you know what maybe I was the problem <laughs> or at least the environment mm, that I had together. created yeah. exactly the fit was just holding both of us back and and once you get to that point in unlocks a whole different way of thinking about building a company. And here, when I, when I talk about working together, it could be someone working for you, it could be a co-founder, it could be you realizing that whoever you're working for is not the mm. right one, um, all of those things. And once you're able to make that switch, it really makes you think differently about how you build teams. Yeah, I think that's a, a, that kind of transparency side of things is such a critical part of just building a successful business in the long term. We have a kind of saying at HX, which is to make the distinction, it's actually one of our values, is to be kind. But that doesn't necessarily mean being nice. Right? And I, the way we, sort, we talk about that is like being nice, like we have a kind of internal definition of this, which is probably not OED certified, but works very well for <laughs> us. Um, you know, which is that being nice is where you do something or say something to someone which makes them feel good, but it's an act that you do to them. Whereas we say being kind to someone is actually helping someone be better themselves, is giving them the things they need to be better. And I think the, yeah. you know, that example there where I think about this a lot, where sometimes I've been nice and I haven't been kind. And I've been like, actually, I've said something to you and it's a temporary plaster on the wound or something like that. Yeah. Whereas I actually haven't enabled you to grow and be happy. And sometimes that means not being nice, actually. Um, exactly. Actually, many, many times being nice is being a little bit of a coward for the backlash that you're afraid to get. Like being kind is not easy. No, it's not. That, that's why giving feedback and having those discussions is something that doesn't come without properly trying it and being very conscious about doing it. The easy route is just to be nice to everyone. Yeah, yeah, it is the easy route. And it's the one, as exactly as you say, that in the long term doesn't lead to the, the best outcomes. No. Very clearly. Well, look, that was an absolutely ram-packed episode of Insights. But Josh, before we close up, we switch over to our usual segment, Startup Shoutouts. We shine a light for some people, founders, companies, anyone really in the startup ecosystem that we admire. Startup Shoutouts. Who's your shout-out, Josh? So for me, it would be Melinda Nikki, uh, who runs the Body Collective, uh, formerly known as Baby to Body. So they are building an ecosystem that, that for women to, to really be their best self. And the baby to body part that they had built previously, which is now just part of the overall brand, was to allow women to stay fit and healthy during pregnancy. Single mom having built the entire business, true inspiration. Yeah, someone I, uh, I hugely admire. Brilliant. Well, Josh, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's been an action-packed episode. I think lots for our listeners to take away. Thank you again. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. 
If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod. 